Hello and welcome to a new episode of uh, Paradigm Shift, the podcast in which I challenge your thoughts and beliefs with topics about philosophy, spirituality, ancient history and religion and everything in between. Today's topic, we will be going back in time to the very first ancient civilization of man, the Sumerians, and we will be talking about the Anunnakis. So let's go ahead and do the intro. So, who are the Anunnakis? Or, more specifically, what are the Anunnakis? The, the answer to that question is found uh, in, in ancient history books and in other references that we will get to in a moment. However, to know how the search started, in 1943, there was an excavation uh, in Iraq which was ancient uh, Mesopotamia. And uh, it was believed that the people who were searching there were looking for the Garden of Eden from the Bible. Uh, so they decided to search in different areas and they stumbled upon a big castle that dated back around 3000 to 4000 BC. And in that uh, castle, they found our wealth of knowledge when it comes to tablets and uh, you know like ancient uh, statues and everything that comes when when you find uh, ancient an ancient uh, civilization's remnants. Uh, however, what was interesting about this is that they found tablets that have these um, writings on them, which we now know as uh, know as uh, uh, cuneiform, uh, which is believed to be the first language of any civilization man made. Uh, this is the earliest sign of any written language in history. And in those tablets, they found a lot of information about that ancient civilization, which is known as the Sumerians. They found information about you know, the wars they went through, how they perceived the world, how they would uh, build certain aspects uh, of that castle and different civilization monuments and stuff like that. And most importantly, they found a lot of information about what at that time was their religion, what you know, everything that uh, as any ancient civilization has different gods, different uh, ideas and thoughts and beliefs and all that. And there is... Uh, what, what struck me most interesting about the Sumerian mythology, if we want to call it that, uh, is the way they looked at gods back then in a very different light than other ancient civilizations did that came after them. So at the time, or if you want to compare to an, another ancient civilization, for example, like the, the Egyptians, they would refer to gods as the beings who, are, who live elsewhere, who live in heaven, who live in different parts of, you know, the, the other reality that, that, that we know, and they were just separate from, from us as humans. So did the Greeks, when it comes to gods living in Mount Olympus, so did the Romans, so did the Aztecs, so did the Mayans, uh, every, every ancient civilization that lived uh, in those times looked at gods in that aspect. However, Sumerians, which is the first one, is very interesting and very different from everyone else because they saw gods as beings who lived among them, but they came from somewhere else. 
and they refer to those gods as the Anunnakis. Now, the Anunnakis is the name that they gave those gods, but when you want to translate what Anunnakis mean, it literally means those who descended from the stars. It didn't refer to them as those who live there. It didn't refer to them as immortal beings who are living, who were always there before man was here. The words descended from the stars is a very interesting description to a god, at least to me, because if you want to think as an early man, you're talking around, what now, 8,000, 7,000 years old civilization. So the thinking was very different back then, right, than we have now. Why would a civilization at the time, why would a simple-minded human at the time refer to something as someone who descended from the stars if they didn't actually see that happening? But that's, you know, we'll talk about that a bit later. I don't want to overwhelm you with, with the theories that, that uh, you know, different scientists and archaeologists have come up with when it comes to this topic. But what I would like to do is approach this whole Anunnaki mythology in a different light. I will be telling you their story, what has been written about them. And when I first start to talk, you will think, you know, I'm a bit out there, a bit crazy. But the more I talk, the more sense it will make. And then you will start to understand that this is a story that I have heard before but in a very different way. This is a story that has been brought to my attention or has been the basis of a lot dif of different religions or ideologies, but the way that those religions have discussed it was slightly different than what this story is. So I will talk about the story, and in time, you will be able to relate to it more and more. Now, like we said, the Anunnakis means the descendant of the stars. So they came from the stars. And in those tablets that they found, they found them in a city called uh, Sipur. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the city was Sipar. They, they found around 13 tablets that discuss the, the way they came to Earth or to this planet or to humankind. And what happened to lead them here, what they did on earth, how they were able to create man, and uh, what the early men were doing for them. Okay, now this is all in the mythology and in the tablets. So this is not referencing anything else. This is not uh, you know, a mythology book or fantasy book or anything like that. This is just literally translating whatever what, uh, the, the, the Anunnakis or if you want the Sumerian mythology was at the time and according to this uh, to Sumeria uh, the Anunnakis came from the stars they don't know why they don't know when but they just know that they came down and they landed on earth somewhere in Mesopotamia and they established a life for them there and they were trying to get something from the planets. Okay, so basically to them, they, they believe that gods who have created earth needed something from this earth and they came down to take it. 
Now, apparently, they while they were working to collect the the stuff that they needed, they discovered that it's a lot of hard work. So they decided to create man and give him, you know, the job of of excavating or of you know fixing earth or you know whatever they needed to do at the time. So so in in Sumerian mythology, the belief that man was created in order to serve these gods, these Anunnaki gods. And they put them in this area, in this enclosed space, if you want. And they asked them to go ahead and, you know, since we created you, you work for us, you're our slaves, go ahead and do it. I mean, the idea of slaves, slavery when it comes to man and, and gods, have been you know passed on in a lot of different mythologies right so even in greeks in greek mythology you have this view of those gods who have created man but they only created him to kind of like torment him and you know like <laughs> treat him very badly and same thing with um, with egyptian mythology when it comes to the relationship between man and gods gods were always looked at as these superior beings who who enslave man and force them to do the labor, the hard work, all that stuff. So this is no different when it comes to Sumerian mythology. And again, the Anunnakis as gods have created man and they put him on um, in that uh, enclosed space and they decided to have them work. And the gods, the Anunnaki gods, there were a lot of them, but there were two of them who are always mentioned. Okay, so these you could look at as the most important among all the other gods for the Sumerians. And these two gods are known as Enlil and Enki. So Enlil is one, Enki is the other. Enlil was known to be the god of the heavens or of the skies, if you want. He would take care of everything above Earth. He was said to live in somewhere in the sky, uh, and he would take care. He was responsible for Earth in general, if you want, and if, um, of other beings that were flying, and you know, he would oversee everything from above. And he was the big boss, if you want to call him. And the other one, who is also mentioned, is Enki. Enki is a god who was known to be the, basically, the god of earth, okay? He was in charge of earth, he was in charge of how everything goes, who talks to the humans, who puts things in, you know, like in order, he was kind of like the administrator of earth. They had other gods as well, but these two are the most prominent ones, and... Enki is believed to have looked like a, um, a kind of like like a reptile. Okay, he he had a bit of a dark skin, uh, maybe greenish in in in, uh, in tone, and he, he like if you see the the ancient uh, how they um, you know represented each one of them, he was always represented as a kind of like a um, you know like a reptile, and. Uh, Enlil, I'm not sure how he was represented, but it's more known that Enki was represented in that uh, fashion. And he was known to, Enki was known to basically report to Enlil, and while he would always take care of, of what's happening on Earth, he was also uh, report, um, 
reporting to him, like I said, and taking care of, of the planet. In those tablets as well, Enki was referred to sometimes as the serpent. Okay, so he was like, he would be referred to by early humans as the serpent. And it was also believed that he was different than Enlil in the way he viewed humans. So after the gods of Mesopotamia decided to create man, he, uh, uh, everyone, like all the gods would look at man as these wild animals, right? At these animals who are created by us only to serve us. Enki, on the other hand, saw more potential in man and decided to intervene in several places, several times, in order to kind of pass down knowledge to them and pass down information to them so that they would become more like them, more like these gods. So he was believed to kind of be like the good guy in, uh, in, in the mythology, and he was believed to, to be the one who has, who has helped mankind evolve into a, a, an intelligent being. Okay, uh, as opposed to the other gods who were simply interested in just harvesting the earth and uh, treating man as, as a slave. And he was known to, to not only, uh, the, the reason actually, the reason why he was interested in man, because unlike the other gods and unlike Enlil, his you know, job was to create man and help create him and uh, grow them, uh, teach them what to do in, in very small fashion. So look at it as like, you know, like we have an animal, let's say a dog, and he's a trainer. So you, have, you bring someone who, who helps uh, train the dog. That's what his job, that's what Enki's job was. His job was to uh, raise uh, birth, give birth, or, you know, grow the amount of man uh, that were alive at the time, and he was the one who would train them. So it is believed that his contact with man uh, softened his heart to, to an extent and made him understand that there's more to them than just, uh, than just uh, slaves or workers or labor. And this is where his uh, you know, kindness came in from. Now, in terms of how ma uh, they were able to create man, it's also in those tablets that it was written that the that uh, the gods have basically created humans. I'm not gonna say into their likings, but but they took part of themselves from these gods and part of a separate animal that was very close to what we have now as man. Okay, and they merged them together on a genetic level. And out of that came man. And literally, uh, um, which is very interesting for uh, such an ancient civilization to think about, uh, the, the idea of man being created at the time was more, uh, was more um, focused as, I wouldn't say mo call it modern day cloning, but, but they would refer to it as a, a genetic mutation between two, two separate things. So to them, it was the genetic mu uh, um, mutation or if you want a genetic um, uh, fusion between themselves, the gods, and an animal that was on earth that looked a lot like 
the humans like we are today. And this idea actually was, um, was referenced in the movie uh, Prometheus, uh, where he, um, where at the start, if you've watched the movie, you would notice that at the start, there were these beings called uh, the engineers. And one of them was uh, sent to Earth to sacrifice himself and to kind of like kill himself in a specific fashion where his own genetic code and DNA would merge with Earth and eventually spring life or start kickstart basically, kickstart the, the evolution chain that would eventually lead to the creation of man. Uh, because, uh, as you know, in terms of evolution uh, that you know uh, that we have, everything started from a single-celled organism, right? That's the theory of evolution. That's what it says: is we start from a single-celled organism to the man. We are the last of a genetic evolution. There is no other being or creature that is that we are evolving into. This is the, this is it. So, so basically, it was the 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 kickstart. And this is what was referenced in this Sumerian mythology, dating seven or 8,000 years ago, talking about a mutation or a fusion of genetic codes between gods and man, which led to the creation of a humankind, the way we are today. Now, this is also a sort of like, if we wanna, humor that idea for a little bit and discuss how the idea of merging between two separate entities to create man, how we're seeing it today, we can look at in our DNA at chromosome two. And of course, all this information, you know, it's, it's there for everyone to share, to, to look at and see online anywhere and anytime you want. So this is not a theory. This is not, uh, you know, based on, uh, uh, you know, like um, reading old tablets or, you know, understanding them a different way or something. No, no, this is what's being accepted today by scientists everywhere. So if we look into our DNA, and obviously we all know that DNA has 23 chromosomes. If we look at chromosome number two, that is a very special chromosome that until now, it has raised a lot of questions about its nature because uh, the other 22 chromosomes that exist in man, which have mutated, which have evolved into what they are today, chromosome 2 is the only chromosome that shows that there was a fusion between two separate beings. Okay, now, if, if a simple search will show you that the uh, basically it says humans have only 23 pairs of chromosome while all other extent um, uh, other stuff have 24 but the evidence that chromosome 2 is a result of an end-to-end -end fusion of two ancestral chromosomes okay so the evidence of for this includes the correspondence of chromosome 2 for two ape chromosomes the closest human relative, the, uh, the chimpanzee, has nearly identical DNA sequence to human chromosome 2, but they are found in two separate chromosomes. This is the only one that is fused between two. And what we find in chromosome 2 are the things that separate us from every other being that is alive today. Every other being that has ever lived or is alive today, we are separate from it with this chromosome too. 
because inside this chromosome two is the ability to feel certain emotions and feelings that don't exist among other beings, such as empathy, such as uh, you know the ability to be aware of your own existence, uh, intelligence, thoughts, and everything that basically has helped man to be on top of the food chain and uh, and um, you know rule over the earth, quote unquote is existing in this chromosome 2. So this chromosome 2 is a very, very special chromosome. And it comes from fusion of two separate beings. And it's fascinating to me that it has been referenced, or not in this fashion, but an ancient civilization with such limited knowledge would know that we are the mix of two separate beings without actually knowing what those two separate beings are. Now, when it comes to the Anunnakis, going back to our uh, original topic, when it comes to the Anunnakis and how they are separate from every other mythology or religion, we find that whatever is written in their scriptures is something that has been adopted by a lot of other religions, especially the Abrahamic religions. The Abrahamic religions being Christians, Muslims, and Jewish, and, or Judaism, have based their entire belief system on several books that have been written before. Not talking about mythology, we're not talking about tablets or ruins on the walls. We are talking about religions that have their entire ideology written within let's say the Old Testament in the Bible the Torah, the Quran and items like that and what struck me as the most interesting and why I, I decided to look and to research the Anunnakis more than the others is how similar what they what's, what the, the, the Sumerian mythology mentions is to what the Bible and other and the Torah mention. So to me it's it was really interesting to think about the idea that unlike other mythologies that existed that predated these religions, nothing was taken from from them. Nothing was taken from the Egyptian mythology. Nothing was taken from the Greek mythology. Everything that is in the, in, the, in the Torah or the Old Testament has been taken from the Sumerian mythology, but altered just a little bit so that it fits a certain narrative. So I'll give you an example when it comes to lines that have been directly removed or taken, quoted from the book of Genesis. Now, for those who don't know, the book of Genesis is the first book uh, of the Old Testament, or the Torah, where uh, they mention about the creation of man and the creation of Adam, the Garden of Eden, the Tree of Life, the Tree of Knowledge uh, of Good and Evil, the Tower of Babel, the, 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 you know, the apple, and why uh, Adam was cast out of the Garden of Eden and all that. And... I'm not going to get into the entire 
uh, book of Genesis word for word, of course. However, the 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 short version of it, before I get to actual quotes taken from it, is that basically God created heaven and earth and everything. And after a few days, because uh, as is written, it was it, everything was created in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Now, when he created earth, he created uh, uh, what is referred to as Eden, and Eden is what most religions uh, refer to as heaven or paradise. And interesting note on the side, by the way, that the word paradise comes from Greek, ancient Greeks. And the word paradeos in Greek actually means enclosure or park, but closed enclosure for, a wild, for wild animals. So it was kind of like you know, a zoo. <laughs> That's what, what paradeos means uh, in, in ancient uh, Greek, which I find very interesting how what, what we refer to as paradise, but what they refer to as paradise as an actual space for animals. And what happened was, according to the book of Genesis, is that man was created, he was put in a garden so that he can till it. And God told him, this is your garden, you can do whatever you want here while you're working in it, working in it, not living here, not the paradise that is often referred to actually working in this garden and told him that you can eat anything you want but these are there are two trees that you are not allowed to touch the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he told him that if you eat from the tree of good and evil you will die and Basically, the actual words from the book was, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every fruit, every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now, and then, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will help him, I will, I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the, uh, of the field and every bird in the air and all that. But then the Lord said, it said that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God has taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I find this very interesting that what's accepted and basically what's written is that God has created everything in existence according to the book of Genesis. So this God has created everything in existence, including man, but when it came to creating woman, or as we know her as Eve, he took part of him 
of man to create her. Honestly, this looks to me like a very scientific approach to things and not a very creation approach to it. I know I might uh, <laughs> piss off a lot of people by, by saying uh, stuff like that. However, what I'm referring to is the, 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 the idea that God has been referenced to be the creator of all things. But when it comes to actually making another human from the first human that he himself made, they are more in line with what cloning is than what creation is. Why would God need a part of man, his cells, his organ, stem cell, I don't know what you want to call it, to be able to create another being similar to him? So that I find very weird, but we can, this is maybe something that we'll be talking about later time. And so he put them both to work in the garden and they were working there and everything was fine. Now, the book of Genesis also talks about something which I also find it very interesting that in the entire book of, not just Genesis, the entire Old Testament, all of it, which at the time was written before the current religions exist, that nothing or no words has referenced the devil. There is no mention of anything called devil, Satan, Shatan, or any other known, you know, uh, words that describe that being in the entirety of the book um, of the Old Testament. Nothing has been mentioned. The, the word devil was first mentioned, if we want to talk about new, uh, uh, new religions, is you know, in, in the, the Bible, in the New Testament in, of Christianity and in, um, in the Quran. But the word devil has not been mentioned in a book that has been around for more than 5,000 years. I find them very interesting. And you would think something like this would be more, you know, prominent or more talked about, but it's not. Even in the book of Genesis, when what we immediately think of as, oh, this is the devil who came and tricked Eve into eating from the tree and uh, eating the apple, it's never referred to as the, the devil. What is said is, now the serpent was more crafty than any other animal that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? This serpent is referenced also in, the, in the, the Sumerian mythology, in the Anunnakis. He is what Enki is referred to as the God who has, you know, the, 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 the best interest of man in his mind. And he was referred to as the serpent in both books, one to be the, the, the Sumerian mythology and one in the book of Genesis. So why would it be mentioned twice? Why would he be mentioned in the same manner that the serpent well, came and talked to them? And in the book, the woman said to the serpent, you may eat, uh, basically the woman said, we may eat the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. And the serpent would reply that, no, you shall not die. You will actually 
if you eat it you will your eyes will be open and you will know good from evil now again this falls in line with the Sumerian mythology that that Enki also known as the serpent also known as the administrator of earth wanted man to gain more knowledge and doing that would help man evolve into a smarter being and in doing that he was defying the orders of Enlil also known as God so if you can see like the similarities are too strong to ignore between two different religions one of them claiming that this is how man has been created uh, when we talk about the Abrahamic religions. Everything has, is, is referred to as God, the serpent, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, is, referred, is referenced in both mythologies, referenced in both ideologies, with slight variations, but the basis of it are basically the same. And to continue with, with what was said, I actually believe I'm uh, kind of crossing the, the time for the... Okay, so I'm going to end it here, okay? At a very high note when it comes to comparison and similarities between the two religions. And I'll continue this in the second podcast, part two. And I will be talking about more similarities that exist and how it can be applied to today, what kind of implication it had on mankind as a whole when it comes to who was told what, how did we evolve, how did we grow, and what is the basic, you know, the, 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 the lesson that we have here, that what should we take away from it. So stay for part two and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. And again, if you are on my YouTube channel, please go ahead and share your comments for this part one. I would love to hear from you. I would love to discuss with you ideas. Share with me as much as you want. Thank you so much.